I can honestly think of no better introduction to a sermon than baptism. It's a picture of a lot of things, baptism. But most profoundly, baptism is a picture of new creation. And we're continuing in our Genesis series, and by God's providence, we're on Genesis 9, which is maybe one of the coolest baptism kind of texts in the Bible. The Lord just lined that one up for us. And Genesis 9 is none other than a story of new creation as well. So let me show you what I mean, okay? Um, we've been in Genesis for 11 weeks now, and uh, this is a, the, the last sermon in the Genesis series this year, and we're going to pause and take an Advent series break, looking at Isaiah starting in next week. So this is a fitting kind of wrap-up sermon, because Genesis 9 and the story of Noah and the flood, that it echoes and maps back onto Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and the stories of new creation in the garden. It's a new creation story. So Genesis 1, remember it begins with the waters, the chaos waters covering the earth before it's fully created. And in this story, the waters of judgment cover the earth. In Genesis 1, God's spirit flutters over the waters like a bird. And in this story, a dove is sent out over the waters. In Genesis 1, the waters are separated divided and dry land emerges and then vegetation. And in this story, the waters again are separated and dry land again emerges and the dove brings forth an olive branch back to the boat. And in Genesis 1, God finishes his creation and rests. And in this story, Noah, this righteous man, he gets off the boat and he makes a sacrifice that's called a restful sacrifice or pleasing sacrifice. It's the same word. It's a creation story. All right, so let's read now from Genesis um, 9, verses 8 to 28. Do we have that on the screen, Manon? Wonderful. All right, let's read. Then God said to Noah, and to his sons with him, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you. As many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish with my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, 
and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk, and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Isn't that interesting? A story of new creation followed by a sin in a garden, fruit, nakedness. If it's ringing bells, it should. But it's not just interesting. It's not just fascinating. There's a point to it. And the point is for us to just inhabit this story, to get into this ancient story and let the story get inside of us. Because we've got to understand that the pattern of new creation, the, the shape that this story takes, because in Christ, it's our story. That's your story. That's Evie's story. It's my story. It's what baptism points to, new creation. When Evie went down into the water, thanks for letting me use you as sermon illustration. When Evie went down into the water, it was like being submerged in these sort of uncreation waters and judgment. And when she came back out again, new life, dry land, olive branch, peace. And it all points to this. When we receive the promises of God by faith in Jesus and are baptized, we are a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And for every soul baptized into the family of God, the earth is just that much more full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. So holding in our minds that this story is a, a new creation story and how it maps onto the first creation in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we're going to look at our text under three headings today. Number one, God designed this world to be flooded. Number two, God gave the covenant to make room for the flood. And three, God gave this covenant to point to another one. So let's, let's go. Number one, um, intentionally provocative. <laughs> God designed this world to be flooded. When we started the series in Genesis, we came to the conclusion, I think it was in the first or second sermon uh, in Genesis 1, we came to the conclusion that God is the free and generous creator who loves beauty, light, and life. That was kind of the overarching, like, this is what we've learned. God is the free and generous creator of all who loves beauty, light, and life. And then he created humans in his image and, you know, reflectors of his glory. 
And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So God's design was for this earth to be filled to the brim with image bearers of God who reflect his beauty and light like the moon reflects the sun. Image bearers who are full of his life, his goodness. Habakkuk 2.14 puts it this way, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Did you hear it? As the waters cover the sea. God wants to flood this place with his beauty, with his light, life, his glory. That's what creation's for. Creation exists to be like a, a jewel in the crown of God, to display his goodness and glory. And we learned that several weeks ago in the catechism we do with the kids. Question four was how and why did God create us? Do any of our kids remember that one? Yeah. yeah? How and why did God create us? William? <laughs> I'll help. God created us, male and female, in his own image to glorify him. That's what it was for all along. That's what God wants is to fill the earth with his glory. So he creates, but then what happens? His co-rulers, these humans that he made to, to work with, to fill the earth with, they betray him. So God had told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But in Genesis 6, 11, a couple of weeks ago, we read, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. That's not what God intended. That's not what God wanted. It's still not. So God lets loose the flood waters of judgment and the waters that had been divided to kind of the heavens and below the earth so that dry land could emerge, they, they collide once more. They're unseparated like the world is being uncreated itself. And he washes away the violence and the corruption. But remember, he made a promise in Genesis 3.15 to bring a seed of the woman, an offspring who would crush the serpent who caused all these problems in the first place. And that promise still stands even through the uncreation. It's why he saved a family. So when this uncreation and recreation were complete, God looked at the humanity that remained, eight of them, and said, you're no different. I said, from your youth, the intentions and thoughts of your heart are only evil continually, and that's still true of you. So he makes a covenant. It's so important. Covenants are crucial to the Bible. They're crucial to understanding how God relates to humans. So do, do you know what a covenant is? Tim Keller's definition is my favorite. He says, a covenant is a stunning blend of law and love. Why stunning? Because it's far more intimate and personal than a relationship based on a legal contract or law. But on the other hand, it's way more durable and binding and stable than a relationship based just on how we feel about each other or based on attraction. That's why the covenant of marriage is so sacred. It's the closest thing we have in human society to the way God covenants 
with humanity. A Christian marriage is bound by law and undying commitment. And it's the deepest and most intimate relationship. A stunning blend of law and love. If God's covenant with us were based on how he felt about us, we'd be in a lot of trouble. Not because God is unsteady, but because we are. We're the worst covenant partners. <laughs> we are constantly betraying him. We're letting him down. We deserve his judgment instead of his affection. And we know this by the second half of our reading, right? The, the weird part <laughs> where Noah gets drunk and uncovers himself. Something perverted happens with his son and then his grandson gets cursed. We're the worst covenant partners. It's like showing up to your wedding day, just totally in the bottle, mud everywhere. That's what we do to God. So the story of Noah's nakedness and his son's evil, it teaches at least one thing. It teaches us at least that the seed of the serpent was also on that ark. Because when they came out on the other side on dry land, we did the same old evils we've always been doing. It's like in the garden, humanity ingested sin. We ate and the evil got deep down inside of us. That's why God describes our heart with those three terrible words, only evil continually. So how is God going to accomplish his design to flood the earth with his glory? if that's what he has to work with. You feel the tension. If we are just rotten, and we are, I am, if that's true of us, if this story is a human story, how is this gonna work? Well, that leads us to point number two. God gave the covenant to make room for the flood, to make room for it. So all the rest of God's covenants in the Bible uh, they're between God and humanity. There's, there's four big covenants in the Old Testament that are explicit and obvious. The, Abra the covenant with Abraham, we call it the Abrahamic. The covenant with Israel, after they were freed from Egypt, we call that the Mosaic covenant. And the covenant with King David, the Davidic covenant. And those three, the, the, the last three in the Old Testament are made with God and humans. And all of God's covenants in the Old Testament are there to preserve and prosper the line of the seed, the promised seed of the woman, the serpent crusher. Because how can there be a seed if the family tree is chopped down? It has to be preserved. And this covenant is no different from that. It is a covenant of preservation, but it, in one way it's unique. If we were to read back through Genesis 9, 8 through 13 and look for who God's covenant partners are, we'd find phrases like, I establish my covenant with y'all and y'all's children and every living creature that's with you. And then later he says, the covenant between me and the earth, not thinking planet, they didn't have that concept, but the land, all of the known land. <laughs> Sorry, Jen. <laughs> so who are God's covenant partners? It's not just God and humanity. It's God and creation. That's what makes this covenant so utterly unique, so utterly special. Noah, his family, all of their offspring, which is all of us, by the way, 
all the beasts of the earth and the earth itself. So covenants have partners, right? You got the, 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 the people getting married by way of analogy, but they also have promises. It's why we make wedding vows till death do us part. God's promise, for instance, in the covenant to Abraham is to make him into a great nation. Remember as many as the sand on the shore or the stars in the heavens to make him into a great nation and then bless all of the earth through his family. Those are the promises to Abraham. The promises to Israel is that God would be their special God, personal for them, and they would be his special people. And then he would shine his goodness and glory to the rest of the world through them and their righteousness in him. Those are the promises to Israel. And God's promise to David in the Davidic covenant was to give him an offspring, a son, a seed, who would sit on his throne forever, ruling in righteousness and drawing all the world to himself. Covenant partners, covenant promises. But what are the promises here? What are the promises to the earth and us in this covenant? It's found in three repetitions of the phrase, never again. Especially in the Old Testament, when something's repeated, pay attention. In English, we think it's bad form to be repetitive, right? That's the way modern English works. We like to, to mix it up. We like variation. So we use lots of synonyms and other words. But in Hebrew, and actually in the whole Bible, in Greek as well, repetition is, they find it beautiful and they found it a helpful way to emphasize things. So when you see things repeated, look closely. So let's look closely at the never agains. Verse 11 of chapter 9. God says, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Then verse 15, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. So in other words, for God to flood the earth with his glory, he has to never again flood the earth with judgment. Because man's heart is evil, we just keep getting wiped out. If not for the gracious covenant of God. And without this, the Noahic covenant, we would never have the Abrahamic covenant. We would never have the Mosaic covenant. We wouldn't have the Davidic covenant. We wouldn't have Jesus. This covenant makes room for that. So we continue to exist by the grace and mercy of God. You ever think about that? You ever think about how you wake up in the morning and that's a mercy? Think of the evils you've done. If you can stomach it, think of the evils done to you. Every one of them, a slap in the face to the holy and gracious creator who loves you. Every one of them deserves a flood of judgment but he stays his hand. It's mercy. And in the most stunning moment of grace in the book of Genesis so far, God takes the first step and he takes the last step and he initiates this covenant, which rests on him alone. What does he ask from Noah in return? Nothing. The animals, nothing. The earth, nothing. 
God has graciously covenanted with his creation to preserve it just because he's good and glorious. It does not rely on us at all. Thank God. In this covenant, he says, I will never again flood the earth so that the earth can exist long enough to be filled with my glory. So that the line from Adam to Noah, to Shem, to Abraham, to Judah, to David, to Jesus could remain unbroken. So we can have a savior. That's what this is for. God longs, longs for this world to be filled with his beauty and his light and his life. I wonder if you do. Maybe you don't. Maybe you did not wake up this morning thinking, gosh, I long for the world to be filled with God's beauty and light and life. But let me ask you, do you long for a world without cancer? Do you long for a world without abuse? A world of peace, people being thoughtful, selfless, considerate, warm-hearted, hospitable, caring, safe. Do you long for a world where you, where you don't have to keep saying goodbye to the people you love in death? Do you long for a world where your own heart doesn't fight against you to keep you from doing the things you actually want to do? If you can say yes to any of that, then you and God want the same thing. What you really want deep down is God to flood this earth with his glory. That's the only way that beautiful kind of a world could ever exist. And that's what he is intending to do and is currently doing. By his grace, we continue to exist so that he can build that world of glory out of the desolation of what we've done to ourselves and our world. He's a redeemer. I love the Noahic covenant. That's what it means. It is something in and of itself, but it also points to something. Every covenant in the Bible stands on its own feet and looks and points us forward to a new covenant a greater covenant, the greatest. God's covenant with Noah was a covenant of preservation. But it makes room for and points to a covenant of salvation. Preservation without salvation is, what's the point? It's just futility. All right, so point number three. God gave this covenant to point to another one. All right, uh, anyone played soccer before? Yeah, like half the room played soccer. I played soccer when I was little. Anyone remember the movie, The Big Green? <laughs> it's like three chuckles of people who remember the absurdity of that movie. It was terrible, but it came out when I was a kid and it got a whole bunch of kids uninterested in soccer, interested in soccer. So of course I joined their ranks and went and joined a soccer team. So show up to practice, uh, first day, eager to play soccer, you know, do some cool dive saves in front of the, the goal. And I don't know any soccer lingo, so I'm going to stop there. But I'm eager to play. Let's go, coach. Let's do this. And he just makes us run and run back and forth and back and forth. And that was the end of our practice. Just horrible running. <laughs> 
I like running now too, but I didn't when I was a kid. I'm glad you do, William. We all just wanted to play in the game. So why did the coach make us run? Come on, coach, let's play. He says, you're going to need this for later. You've got to build these sort of endurance. You've got to train up your muscles, practice the reflexes. You'll need this later. If you want to play the game, you got to run the drills. Uh, how about escape rooms? Anyone's been to an escape room? Uh, if you haven't, you should. It's great fun. Unless you are prone to anxiety, in which case, please do not go. That could be an emergency. Um, if you go into an escape room, the goal is, you know, it's in a controlled environment and you have to break out, essentially. You escape. It's in the name. Now, if you go into an escape room and you're given a kit with things in it, hang on to it. Or if you're in an escape room and you see like a paper clip lying on a piece of paper or a, a wrench or a screwdriver, grab it, put it in your pocket. You're going to need it for later. The Bible's like that. It's like the running drills. It's like the paper clip. It establishes patterns that we'll need to recognize for later. So think about the shape of this story, the shape of the, the story of the flood. You've got one righteous man, just one in all the earth, and everyone connected to him in his family is saved. Then like a priest, he offers a sacrifice that's pleasing to God. And in response, God establishes a covenant with him a covenant full of never-agains. Because of a righteous man's pleasing sacrifice, God promises mercy instead of judgment. Sound familiar? In the interest of not being vague, <laughs> let me be clear, Noah points to Jesus, the only true righteous one, and everyone connected to Jesus by faith will be saved, just as surely as anyone in that ark was saved. And Jesus, as our great high priest, offered himself as a once-for-all pleasing sacrifice to God. And in response, God establishes a covenant, a new covenant in the blood of Jesus. And this new covenant is full of never-agains. So remember the threefold never-agains in Genesis 9. The whole point was that God wouldn't flood the earth with his judgment waters ever again. Well, let me pick three of many glorious never-agains from the new covenant to give you today. All right, three never-agains. Number one, if you put your faith in Jesus, God will never again remember your sins. He's not going to have a bad day and drag up the past. Whether you feel this way or not, the Bible is very clear. If you're in Christ, he has put your sins as far away from you as the east is from the west. Number two, if you put your faith in Jesus, you will never again have to wonder how God feels about you. Because everyone connected to Jesus is nestled safely inside Christ. You're adopted into God's family with all of the status and privilege and favor of the firstborn son. Do you ever wonder why in the Bible it says, if you're a Christian, you're a son of God? It doesn't say son and daughter of God. Because you all, if you are in Christ, have the status of the son of God in God's eyes. 
It's meant to be son. We're sons of God because we have that sort of status and privilege and favor from God. Written in a context where first sons received everything from their fathers. That's what you get in Christ. Everything. You do not have to wonder how God feels about you. Number three, if you put your faith in Jesus, you will never again have to fear suffering. I did not say you will never again suffer. You certainly will. Absolutely. However, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, God works all things together for good. Tell me which of your sufferings doesn't fit under the word all. If you are in Christ, there is no sin and no sorrow and no suffering that Jesus doesn't experience with you, that he doesn't mourn with you, that he doesn't get angry at with you, and that he doesn't promise to redeem into an incomparable eternal weight of glory beyond what you could possibly imagine. We will suffer in all the normal ways that every human does, and maybe in more. But you don't have to be afraid of it. You might be a great sufferer. You might be a great sinner but you have a great savior. I love the never agains of the new covenant. You can find all your rest and peace in them. Look with me again at Genesis 9, 14 through 15, if you have your Bibles. Let's think about clouds. When I bring clouds over the earth, God says, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. I wonder if you've ever thought about the trauma of the flood. I was reading commentaries after I had done the bulk of my work this week, and John Calvin actually pointed out what it would be like for Noah and his sons every time a storm cloud rolled in. I never thought of that. Can you imagine stepping off that ark, get a few weeks of good sunny weather, and then you see a dark storm cloud roll in? What that would do in your heart, the fear you would experience. I think the word for it modernly is you'd be triggered, wouldn't you? God made a covenant with his people and gave them this beautiful sign of the covenant, this rainbow. And whenever those storm clouds rolled in, God would look down on the rainbow and remember his never agains. The crazy thing about rainbows is that they're always there when there's storm clouds, right? Like if there's water up there and then sunshine hitting it, it's going to refract and cause rainbows. You just have to be in the right place to see it. In other words, even if you're down here and all you see are storm clouds, God sees a rainbow. It's for him to see not for you to see. Isn't that fascinating? He doesn't say, Noah, look up at a rainbow every time you see one and be thankful that I'm so nice to you. He says, no, no, no. I look down and I see the rainbow. I look at your sign of the covenant and I act 
I stay my hand. I show mercy. If you're a friend of Jesus, then you need to hear this. When you are in sin or sorrow and you see the storm clouds roll in, you might not see it, but God looks down and sees his sign. And he remembers, even when you forget. He doesn't see a rainbow. He sees blood, the blood of Jesus. And even if you forget for a while, God will see the blood and God will remember his never agains. So in Christ, there is more grace and more mercy than you can see. God makes a covenant with Jesus and he pulls you into it by faith so that you can be fearless. Don't you want to be fearless? Fear no storm cloud. Fear no judgment. Fear no suffering. God is with you. You are in Christ. There is therefore now how much condemnation? No condemnation. Thank you for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to say that again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You might have to go home and keep saying that out loud till you start to believe it. If you are tired of dreading the punishment of God or waiting for the hammer to come down, if you're tired of wondering if you've out the grace of God, and you are ready, maybe for the first time, to put your trust in Jesus. Let's talk. Let's talk today. Today is the day. Do not wait. Do not leave bearing the weight of your own sins. It will crush you. Let him take them. Trust Jesus with them. Receive the never-agains of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your glory, the perfect image of God. You show us what the Father is like, and you came to flood this earth with beauty and light and life. And Lord, I just marvel that even historically we can look back to 33 AD and see that the world has never been the same. You do not work vainly. This is your world. You created it. You uphold it. And you are filling it with your glory. Let us be a part of that, Father. Make us more and more like Jesus by the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that this flood grows as we see new life. Thank you again for Evie Pitney and what an encouragement she is to all of us and an example. And most profoundly, Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and promises that you make in baptism. And we thank you that even when we forget your signs and your covenant, you do not and that you never let go and never forget of your never-agains to us. You're kind. We love you. Amen.